Welcome to the Thinking to Believe podcast, a place where thinking is believing. My name is Jason Dooley, and I am the host of this podcast. Last episode, I introduced the topic of forgiveness, and I argued that forgiveness, even though it's so central to Christianity, is often misunderstood by today's Christians. I specifically cited three areas that I think are misunderstood about forgiveness and address the first two of those last episode. The first was the idea that forgiveness is about emotional change. We think that forgiveness is about ridding ourselves of negative emotions towards somebody. It's getting rid of our anger. Um, But that's not the biblical notion of forgiveness. I argue that forgiveness is about how we treat the person who has offended us, not how we feel about them. It's primarily about reconciling relationships, not about changing our feelings. The second misunderstanding I cited is the idea that forgiveness is a unilateral transaction. And by that, I mean, it's something that can be done all by ourselves. It does not require any sort of confrontation with the person who's offended us. This is a misconception because forgiveness is about reconciling relationships That means it can't be done with just one person because relationships require at least two people. You can't forgive somebody in prayer. You may pray about the issue, but forgiveness can only be achieved when you work out the problem with the individual. In today's episode, we will cover the third and final misunderstanding about forgiveness, and that is the idea that forgiveness is unconditional. Many Christians believe that we are required to forgive those who have wronged us unconditionally, meaning whether they repent or they don't repent, whether they ask for forgiveness or don't ask for forgiveness, we must extend forgiveness to everybody. Now, we are commanded in Scripture to forgive. There's no question about that. Let me just read a few passages that make that point clear. Matthew 6, verses 12, 14, and 15. Jesus says, And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now that's part of the Lord's Prayer. And then he goes on to say, when he elaborates, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So there is a command to forgive. And indeed, if we don't forgive other people, then God will not forgive us. So it's obviously very important for us to forgive. Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And again in Colossians 3.13, Paul says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So he makes this comparison between God's forgiveness toward us and our forgiveness toward others. So there's no question that we must forgive. But is this a carte blanche command or are there qualifications? In other words, does it apply universally without any sort of conditions or are there qualifications to this command? Well, I think that we should look to God as our example. First of all, notice the comparison in Colossians. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So Paul is 
using God as an example for us to be able to forgive. So there's some sort of relationship between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of other people. So let's ask ourselves, how does God forgive? Does God forgive everybody unconditionally? No, God only forgives those who repent. So if our forgiveness is patterned after God's forgiveness of us, and God only forgives us when we repent, then we should only forgive the repentant. Surely, God is not going to expect Christians to do something that he himself won't do. If he's unwilling to forgive those who haven't repented, then why would he expect us to be willing to forgive those who have not repented? But in addition to looking at God as our example, there are a number of passages that do place conditions on who we are to forgive. And these make it clear that forgiveness is only extended to those who repent. So let's look at the first one here in Luke chapter 17, verses three to four. Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So notice in this short little passage, there are three conditional statements. The first one is, if our brother sins, then we are to rebuke him. So an if then, if our brother sins, we are to rebuke him. Now, the purpose of this is not to condemn. It's not just saying you need to, you know, point out people's faults to them, be the professional fault finder. No, we are to rebuke him in order to elicit his repentance. That's why the next thing Jesus goes on to say is the second conditional. If he repents, forgive him. Notice the if then. If he repents, then forgive him. If repentance was unconditional, why bother to state this condition? Why limit repentance, or our forgiveness rather, um, to somebody who repents if forgiveness is to be given to everybody regardless of the repentance? No, Jesus makes a conditional statement. If he repents, then forgive him. So this is a clear statement of conditional forgiveness. The third conditional statement says, if he sins against you seven times and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So notice that each act of forgiveness is preceded by a, sec or a, a, a separate act of repentance. So if he wants to be forgiven seven times, fine, that's it's possible. Yeah, he can be forgiven seven times, but he must come seven times and say, I repent and then you are required. Then you have an obligation to forgive him. So it seems quite clear from Luke 17 that a precondition for forgiveness is repentance on the part of the person who sinned against us. If you believe in the mission of thinking to believe and benefit from this podcast, please partner with me through a one-time donation or by becoming a monthly donor. Together, we can do more and reach more people. 
you can give via PayPal or Venmo at thinkingtobelieve.com slash donate. Then there's also Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. This is a passage that's often referred to as you know church discipline and how we discipline erring members of the church. And it is that. But it's also, in foremost, a passage that deals with the process for dealing with an unrepentant Christian. So let's see what Jesus says here about what we should do when a brother sins. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Notice the pattern that Jesus establishes for us when somebody sins in the church against another person in the church. The pattern is one, confront. Two, repent. And three, forgive. Confront the wrongdoer get him to repent, and then you forgive. He says, go and tell him his fault. So this is a personal, private confrontation. Remember we said last time that uh, forgiveness is not something that can be done unilaterally. It's not something you can do by just praying to God. Rather, you have to go and tell the person their fault. Now, ideally, they would come to you, but maybe they didn't even realize they wronged you, or maybe they don't have the courage to um, they have too much pride to admit that they done, had done wrong. So go and tell him his fault. You need to confront him. You need to resolve the situation. So this is personal. It's just between you and the individual who wronged you. Again, the purpose is not to condemn, but it's to restore the relationship. And he says, if he listens to you, listens to you about what? About your complaint, about what you feel he did that wronged you. So he says, if he listens to you, that means that he repented. Then what happens? Then you have gained your brother, reconciliation. If he listens to you by repenting, acknowledging his wrong, then you've gained your brother back. You've been reconciled to him. Remember, that's the purpose of forgiveness. It's reconciliation. That's why Jesus wants us to confront because if the sin is not confronted, if the sin is not dealt with, then there cannot be a harmonious relationship. Now, what if the confrontation doesn't result in repentance? We said that the established order is confront, then the person repents, and then you forgive. But what if step two doesn't happen? What if you confront them privately and they don't repent? What happens then? Jesus didn't say, oh, well, you tried. Just forgive them anyway. No, no, no forgiveness is to be given. Instead, there needs to be an escalation process. So Jesus considered repentance on the part of the person who who did the sin to be so important that he instituted this process of escalated confrontation in order to achieve repentance. The second stage, after you've gone privately, just between you and the individual, the second stage of this escalated confrontation is to take more believers with you. Take two or three other church members And with you so that they can be witness to what's going on and they can encourage this erring brother to repent. But even if at that stage, 
he fails to repent, then you are to take it up to another level of escalation, and that's bringing it before the church. Now, we don't know if this means before the entire congregation or just the leadership of the church. I tend to believe it's probably the latter, um, the, the church leadership. Um, because if the person fails to repent, then there needs to be a disciplinary action taken, and that disciplinary action would be done by the leaders. So I'm assuming that the take it before the church means the church elders. So the third stage is taking the person before the church leadership, presenting the issue to them, and of course they then would try to get this unrepentant brother to repent. And if it fails... If he still will not repent at this third level of escalation, then Jesus says that we are to uh, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, that you are to consider them as an unbeliever. That's what we call excommunication. We are to excommunicate them, treat them as if they're not even a Christian. In other words, they are disfellowshipped. They're not forgiven. They're disfellowshipped. Now think about this. If God intended for us to forgive everyone unconditionally, there would be no need for this kind of a process. There would be no church disciplinary process. Jesus could have just bypassed this whole thing by saying, if a brother sins against you, just forgive him. Go to God, pray about it, and just release it. Release your anger toward him. Act like it never happened. But that's not what Jesus says. He institutes a process in order to elicit repentance. And if that process fails to bring about repentance, then you don't default to forgiveness. You default to excommunication. So this is a very big deal to God. And I think this passage, along with Luke, makes it very clear that forgiveness has conditions. And the condition for forgiveness is that the individual repent. Now, not only do I think that the Bible teaches that we should hold off on forgiving people until after they've repented, I actually believe it is harmful for us to forgive people without them repenting. And remember, when I'm talking about forgiveness, I'm not talking about uh, releasing our negative emotions. I'm not saying it's harmful to stop being angry at people until they repent. Remember, forgiveness is about reconciling relationships. So when I say that it's it can be harmful to forgive if there's not first repentance, what I mean is it can be harmful to reconcile the relationship, to resume the relationship as if there was no sin, as if the person had not hurt you or offended you through their sin. Say, well, how can this be? Our anger can be released toward a person, but if we privatize our forgiveness and do not confront the believer who has sinned against us or unbeliever for that matter, and we don't follow Jesus' process in Matthew 18, what we may end up doing is prevent the sinner from actually repenting and making things right, which means that this wound that you're just pretending doesn't exist will never be healed. I mean, after all, if the relationship seems to be going well, why would the person who sinned, why would they bring up their sin? Why would they try to reconcile? Why would they ask for you to forgive them? Because it seems like it doesn't really matter to you. 
It seems like it must not have really hurt you. So we'll just go ahead and let bygones be bygones. Why bring it up and chance, you know, hurting your feelings or resurrecting those negative emotions? They'll just let it slide. So what ends up happening is by you uh, failing to uh, address the issue and treating the treating the person as if forgiveness has been achieved by restoring the relationship, you may then prevent them from ever uh, repenting for their sin. We can't ignore their sin. Sin cannot simply be ignored. And when you think about it, God doesn't do this either. God doesn't forgive us unless we repent. He doesn't just ignore our sin. Our sin has to be addressed. Repentance precedes relationship when it comes to conversion. When we convert, when we come to God, we have to first repent. And then God forgives. God doesn't treat us as though he's in relationship with us until after we have repented. And even after conversion, the quality of our relationship with God depends on whether or not we're going to confess our sins to God and, and you know come to him asking him to forgive us. So we need to do the same with other people. We should not be short-circuiting this repentance process by treating this unrepentant offender as if they had never sinned. So reconciliation is only a privilege that is extended to the repentant. If you benefit from this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and share. Subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes rate it, give me a five-star rating, and please write a brief review. This will help increase my rankings and make my podcast more visible to others. And finally, share. Share the link of your favorite episode on your social media. Now, at this point, some of you are probably thinking, well, does that mean we should remain angry towards the person who offended us? I mean, if you're saying you shouldn't forgive people until after they repent, well, then you're telling me I should continue to you know, foster anger and bitterness and, you know, treat them badly. No, no. Remember, forgiveness is not about your emotions. It's not about an emotional release. You can achieve an emotional release prior to ever forgiving an individual. We never should treat people badly just because they've sinned against us and haven't repented yet. We're commanded to love. We're commanded in scripture not to be bitter and angry toward anyone, but to be kind and tender-hearted. We're commanded not to repay evil with evil or seek personal vengeance for those who have wronged us. We are commanded to live peaceably with all people. We're commanded to help our enemies and to do good to those people. So we should always be uh, treating people you know, in a kind way. And we should always be ready to forgive them whenever they choose to repent. But it doesn't mean that we are to restore the relationship or to resume relationship with them in a way that existed prior to their sin. So just keep in mind, forgiveness is not about our feelings. So changing our feelings has nothing to do with repentance and forgiveness. We can release our anger before a person repents. But I will say, of course, it is always easier to release your anger after they repented Um, because often our feelings will follow our, our changed behavior and we change our behavior and start treating the person in a different way once they repent. So it can be easier 
but it's not something that's required. So you do not have to remain angry with the unrepentant. You don't have to treat them badly. You should treat them, you know, in, in, a, in a loving way, even as you would your enemies. I'm not saying they are your enemy, but uh, all those other commands about how we are to treat people still apply even to those who haven't repented. But to presume or to resume a relationship with them that is at a level at or near the way it was prior to the sin is not something that should be done until after they have repented. So let me sum things up. First, forgiveness is about actions rather than our feelings. Forgiveness is not about our emotional states. It's not about how we feel. Forgiveness is about restoring the relationships that have been damaged by sin. Forgiveness is about how we treat the person who has hurt us. It's not about how we feel toward them. And when we forgive them, what we're doing is we're not changing our feelings toward them. What we are changing is the way that we relate to them. We are restoring that relationship and we're treating them as we did prior to their offense. When we forgive somebody, Part of the actions we take is that we don't bring up their sin again in the future. When God forgives us, he doesn't bring up our past sins again. They are put into the sea of forgetfulness, if you will. So we're not going to bring up their sin again as a weapon to bludgeon them in the future. And we're not going to talk about their sins to others. It's been dealt with. It's been forgiven. It's under the blood. And now we move on and we move forward in the relationship as if that sin had not taken place. Second, Forgiveness requires confrontation. Forgiveness is not something that can be done as a solitary act. It's not a unilateral transaction. It's not something we can achieve just by praying about it and we can talk to God and then we can forgive people. Rather, true forgiveness requires the meeting of two humans, at least two, the offended and the offender. When I forgive somebody, it's my pronouncement to the individual who wronged me that I now absolve their moral debt against me and I'm going to restore the relationship. So forgiveness is about actions, not feelings, and it requires that we confront the person who has wronged us. And third, forgiveness requires repentance. We always should be ready and willing to forgive anybody who would repent but we only actually forgive the people who repent, just as God does. God is our example. He only forgives those who come to him and repent of their sins. We also are charged with forgiving as God does. We forgive those who have repented. If they don't repent, then we cannot forgive. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to remain angry at them. It just means that the relationship remains fractured. There's something that is in the way of a harmonious relationship. So even if somebody hasn't repented, we can still rid ourselves of those negative emotions. We can still go to God and say, God, I lay these emotions at your feet and pray that those emotions would be processed. Now, granted, it may be easier to process those emotions once true forgiveness has taken place. And by that, again, I mean by a restoring of the relationship, because often a change in our feelings takes place after there's a change in our actions. So it can be difficult to achieve that emotional release prior to reconciling the relationship, but it is possible. We can and we should seek to rid ourselves of any emotions. Indeed, we're never justified on being bitter towards anybody. 
So if we're feeling that way, we should seek to rid ourselves of those emotions. We should always have a disposition of you know, peace and love toward the repentant. We still love them, but relational harmony is something that can only come after repentance. For the final episode in this series, uh, I'm going to address objections to the view I've laid out here. We'll look at things such as Jesus on the cross. He said, forgive them for they do not know what they do. That seemed to be unilateral forgiveness and there was no repentance. How do we address that? Uh, There's also many passages that tell us to forgive where there is no condition that the person repents. So how do we uh, understand those passages? And how do we uh, deal with people in our lives who might have already passed away and they had wronged us and never sought forgiveness, um, never repented? Are we able to forgive them? So these are the types of objections and questions that I will address next time in our third and final episode in the series on forgiveness. To read my latest thoughts, visit the Thinking to Believe blog at thinkingtobelieve.com. Or if you'd like to comment on today's podcast, you can do so at the Thinking to Believe Facebook page. You can also send me any questions you might have at thinkingtobelieve at gmail.com. Until next time, keep thinking to believe.